Good morning, everyone. That was really beautiful. That's a beautiful song. Um, all right, so today we are wrapping up um, our interlude series that's kind of stretched throughout our entire year. So our overall teaching theme um, this year at Revolution has been uncertainty. And so kind of sprinkled in between other sermon series, we've been teaching from parables. And um, learning from parables while the theme is uncertainty has been kind of fun in a lot of ways because parables are something that um, are meant to like open up understanding um, and they're also frequently not super clear or, or super concrete about what it is exactly that we're learning. So we've covered various different parables or groups of parables throughout, um, throughout this series and today we're going to be talking about um, one of the most famous parables um, that we know as um, the parable of the um, Good Samaritan. So I'm going to um, get started by reading the first section of this and then we'll, we'll talk about it. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. So you have an expert in the law who asks, a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's, it's not a particularly sincere question, it's a test for Jesus. Um, and Jesus knows this, and so he doesn't really answer the question so much as um, basically says, hey, you're the expert, what's the law say? And so the expert in law replies with a quote or several quotes from scripture. And so let's break, break down his response a little bit. So that the first part that the expert in the law quotes um, is first seen in scripture in Deuteronomy 6 which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This verse is known as the Shema, and its uh, name comes from the Hebrew word to hear or listen. And so this was a daily prayer for ancient Israelites, um, and it's still a common prayer for many Jewish and Christian people today. And so this was actually one of the first verses that um, I memorized as a kid. I went to a um, Christian summer camp starting, I think, in eighth grade, I want to say. Yeah, there, there I am. And so we would start the day in, um, down at the flagpole, which you can kind of see behind me in that picture. And so everyone would be really exhausted, kind of still waking up from like staying up way too late, eating junk food with your friends the night before, kind of roll into flagpole. And oh, we got that too. <laughs> junk food with friends. Roll into the flagpole and some... Um, so they put the flag up. It's kind of this like quiet moment before you start the day. And then one of the loud counselors, there's always like loud counselors on camp staffs, um, yells, hero people. And then everyone kind of recites together, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Um, and I remember the first few times hearing this, um, I was like, whoa, how did everyone know all of those words? This is a kind of a strange thing that happens. I want to be able to do it too. And so I like got really into, you know, studying it and memorizing it. And I remember feeling very proud once I, once I got it down. Um, and so that, over time, I kind of kept coming back to this camp and eventually worked there. And um, I remember really settling into these words as such a lovely way to start the day because it really just reminds us of how both how big and how simple 
this call to follow God is. Like, love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself is so big and so simple. And I really love that. And so that's, that's my story with the Shema. And there's so many more like it all throughout Jewish and Christian history of folks taking time to pause and remember and recite these words. And so this verse, again, is quoted all throughout scripture, but its first um, appearance here in Deuteronomy 6, um, the scene is sort of where the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. And Moses really does not want them to repeat the mistakes of their parents. He wants them to listen to God and honor God and, and just receive the blessings of the promised land, just really get it right this time. And so this opening words to hear or to listen, encourage listeners to really let the words sink in, um, to move them. And so, in fact, all throughout Deuteronomy, the concept of love and the concept of listening are linked. Um, listening to God, listening to the scriptures, allowing yourself to be moved and changed by them. Moses is saying, like, Israel, brothers and sisters, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. This isn't like a mushy feely love. It's like a, a love that's lived out with loyalty and faithfulness um, in a way that honors these covenant relationships with Yahweh. And so Moses wants this for the Israelites. Listen to God. Honor God with your whole beings. Receive God's blessing. All this to say, it makes sense why an expert in the law would quote this chunk of scripture when he's, when he's talking about how do you inherit eternal life. Um, and this isn't the end of where he quotes, it's the beginning. So then he quotes a separate part of scripture. The second part he quotes, love your neighbor as yourself. This is from Leviticus 19. It's a much less frequently quoted portion of scripture um, in a series of other assorted laws. And in fact, if you look at Leviticus 19, the chapter title there is various laws, which made me smile. But it's also pretty accurate because the laws in this section have everything from like how to breed your cattle and how to plant your fields and lots of different laws about um, interacting with people around you. And so the piece that um, the expert in the law is quoting here is from verse 18, which reads, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Loving your neighbor as yourself really does capture the sentiment a lot of a lot of the surrounding laws in this section. So there's laws around here about, you know, don't steal and lie and rob your neighbor. Don't show favoritism to the wealthy. Uh, treat foreigners fairly and generously. Um, there's laws about not hoarding your resources and paying your workers fairly. And there's laws about using honest um, scales and measures in your business dealings. And so if you had to really boil down this whole section into one sentiment. Loving your neighbor as yourself is a pretty good summary of a lot of these laws. So when he quotes this section, when the expert in the law quotes this section, what seems really important here is that he's connecting loving God with your whole self with loving your neighbor. He connects these two things in response to Jesus. So how do you inherit eternal life? Love God with your whole self. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus responds to, again, this, this pretty just disingenuous question by kind of flipping the test back on the expert. Expert quotes the law. Jesus says, great, you passed. Go and do that and you're all set. And I kind of love this whole exchange. 
I think it's easy to be a little hard on this guy. Like he's asking these kind of questions that aren't really genuine, not really like for great intentions, but I also find it very relatable to try to just intellectualize this whole conversation about God, have conversations about it rather than actually like doing anything in my real life. Like that's way easier and more comfortable for me too. Like talking about God and the Bible and American Christianity and the church, like this is, this is all very comfortable for me. Um, disagreeing with people I think are wrong. Like it's all, it's all great. It's a great pastime. Um, and so I think I would get along with this guy in that sense. Like it's, it's easy to criticize, but it's also, I think, a very, a very common temptation in interacting with God in scripture and like still feeling like I engaged in faith things. That's got to be devout in some way, even though it didn't actually touch anything in my real life. And so because I can relate to this, I also, it makes it more comforting to see the way that Jesus meets him here, um, right where he is, and in, engages with him in a way that he is comfortable with. Um, he doesn't really answer a single one of these guys' questions other than with parables or with other questions. But what, what he does here is kind of meet him where he is and say, like, I'm willing to have this intellectual conversation with you. Another thing I'm looking at here as we read this, and this is something I've been reflecting on more when reading scripture in general, is what is the tone that I'm reading the words of Jesus or God with when, when they're speaking in the Bible? Um, when I first read this interaction of Jesus and this man, um, I read it as kind of snarky or sarcastic almost, like, He's asking, you know, what's the law say? And he's, you tell me, you tell me what the law says. You know, if you're such an expert, you tell me. Um, I don't know why I read snark into Jesus in this situation. Like, I'm not going to psychoanalyze that for you. You can psychoanalyze that if you feel like it and let me know if you come up with anything good. But, but also, it's worth looking into ourselves and what are we, how are we reading these things, too, because um, it's interesting to see what our tendencies are. I was talking to a friend on the preaching team about this, and they were saying like, oh, I think I tend to read God as gentle. And I was like, wow, I do not <laughs> tend to read God as gentle. That's so interesting. And, and it's so good that we're still learning from each other in these ways too, because it, it's stretching to see those things. But if you'll humor me for a minute, let's try out a different tone for this interaction. And so instead of snarky, eye rolly Jesus, we're gonna read it as like genuine, generous Jesus, who's meeting an intellectual person where he is and um, engaging with him, like, you know, you want to have this heady conversation about the law? Okay, let's do it. Um, yeah. So the legal expert's testing him. Jesus got, doesn't get tricked, but he engages. Continuing in verse 29. But wanting to vindicate himself. So the expert in the law is, is coming back here, and he's heard Jesus' answer, given the law. Then he says, wanting to vindicate himself, he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The text really doesn't even have to say that he's trying to vindicate himself here. Like, what else could be the point of a question like this? It reminds me a lot of, of, of some conversations that um, I've participated in, and you, and you likely have too. I feel like they always go about the same way. When you're talking about, you know, what should we do if someone at, approaches you on the street and asks for money? And these, honestly, these conversations go the exact same way every time. There's like a couple types of answers. Like people will say, oh, I like to give gift cards because 
then people can, you know, buy food but nothing else with it. And other people will say, well, it's not my business what people do with money I give them. Or, you know, someone will say, I just give to reputable charities and I, I don't give to people who are asking on the street. And um, inevitably, eventually, someone will say, well, how much is too, like, how much is too much? You can't just give money to anyone who's asking for money on the street. Like, that's not reasonable. This wouldn't work. Like, what are we really doing here? These comments never come from someone who's at risk of having given too much money to people who've asked for it on the street. Like, this is not a comment from someone who's, like, been overly generous with people who are asking and are, like, at risk of not paying their rent and have drained their savings. Like, that's just not the purpose of a question like that. The purpose of this comment is not to broaden or like challenge ourselves. It's just to see where we can absolve ourselves of guilt or responsibility to some portion of our neighbors, or maybe to justify our own lack of generosity um, and just not have to feel the dissonance between any of our beliefs that we may have and any of the ways we might be acting. This is also very relatable. And this is also not a new thing to us here today. So coming back to this question, this disingenuous question, who is my neighbor? And in response, Jesus replies with a parable that you likely will find familiar. Verse 30 says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. There are some parables that are hard to interpret and kind of opaque. This isn't really one of them. It's pretty clear from this story who's being a good neighbor, who's not. It's pretty clear what the right thing to do is, what the challenge to this expert in the law is. It's pretty clear what the challenge to us is listening to it today. And so there's so many different interesting questions we could dig into from here that I think are valuable. You know, what does it mean to love our neighbors? Or can you love God without loving your neighbors? Um, do you love God by loving your neighbors? Like, there's, there's so many interesting questions. We could get more into like our own stuff. You know, who is the neighbors we're specifically called or feeling nudged to love better? Um, is there anyone I love as I love myself or treat as poorly as I treat myself? Like, what are the actions? There's so many interesting questions we can get into here. And I've been intrigued by a slightly different one this week. Jesus responds to this guy with his intellectual quizzing and his correct answers. He gets all the answers right. He's got all this right theology, good law, understanding of the law. 
And Jesus tells him, cool, you got it. Go and do likewise. Does anyone actually believe that's what he's going to do now? Does anyone look at this guy here and think he's totally changed by this interaction? He's going to go out and change his life and live generously and love his neighbors in a different way. I don't. And I don't because I know myself and I know a lot of us. And that's not usually how these things that start like this tend to go. Um, if you've been here before, you've likely seen me um, read announcements at the beginning of service. I do this a lot of weeks. Um, I'm going to tell you something that may or may not surprise you. Um, people do not tend to hear an announcement and do anything with that information. <laughs> like, it is not common that, like, we, hey, we need, you know, I need volunteers for a guest experience team, by the way. Like, we're not having five people come out and say, like, I want to volunteer for guest experience team now. Like, that's not how this goes. And I'm okay with that in this context. Um, you also may know my, like, nine-to-five paycheck job that I work during the week is um, I'm a therapist. I work with mostly teenagers. Um, and their families. And um, so, you know, being a therapist, people like to talk to you about their therapy experiences, which I also love. It's more nerdy stuff that's fun to talk about. And so if I talk to a friend who's like newly started seeing a therapist, um, a pretty typical conversation to go down is like, hey, how's therapy going? Oh, good. And you're like, there's a, there's a butt there. <laughs> and and it, it, what usually comes next is like some version of my therapist won't tell me what to do. They won't give me any advice, and it's driving me crazy. And so here's a spoiler. If you haven't been to therapy or if you think you will someday, like, that's pretty accurate. Like, I don't give a lot of advice or tell people what to do. And that's for a couple reasons. The first is it's not my job or my business, really, to tell people what choices to make. The second is it does not work. People do not take advice from therapists. And... And I, I know this because, like many therapists before me, early in my career in school, I've tried it because people want to hear advice. And so you're like, okay, fine, I see the problem. I can tell you exactly what to do. This does not go well. Best case scenario, people just don't do it. Worst case, it's like offensive or shocking or, or very off-putting. People don't take advice from therapists. I'm okay with that, too. And you may have experienced something similar with a friend. Like, we've all had a friend going, or even a kid, haven't going through a hard time. Um, and it's tempting to give advice to people. You, you know, from the outside looking in, it's easy to know what a person should, should do next. Does it, does it work, though, very much? Like, how many times have I given advice and it doesn't really do anything? And so with time, slowly, I'm becoming more and more comfortable with that, too. So why? Like, why are we like this with advice or with parables or with teaching or with all of these things? You know, and if we are like this, what's the point of them all? Why are we teaching and reading announcements and giving advice? I believe it's because words can break through. Like, while we can all think of a time where this thing has happened, we haven't taken advice or we have watched someone not take it, we can probably also all think of a time when we have changed or we have taken advice. 
or just grown or healed or moved in general. So what's the difference? Like what can give words the power to shape us? I believe there's a couple things. The first is in order for words to move us, we have to allow ourselves to be moved. Most of the time when I come to church to hear a sermon or read, read scripture even, I'm not looking to actually be changed or moved by something. I want to hear stuff that I already believe that like makes me feel good or confirms that these people I think are wrong over there are in fact wrong. Or, um, or even like, oh, I know someone, so-and-so should hear this message. They would really, they should really take this advice. That's, that's what needs to happen here. Stop, I need to stop that. That's, this is this intellectualizing that keeps me closed off from being moved or changed by these words that I'm interacting with. Um, and I think part of the reason why we do this is like when we keep things theoretical and hypothetical and abstract like this or we focus on someone else, um, part of it is I think we kind of know that if we do listen to here, we might actually be changed. And that is scary or maybe even costly um, when that happens. And so I think there's this, there's this fear and resistance to that. Um, this also is not a new tendency. It seems to be a very human tendency as well. All throughout human history, all throughout the Hebrew Bible, we don't listen. Like, we don't stay faithful. God is incredible in God's patience with our human tendencies to forget or to look away or be selfish um, or, or sometimes stop listening even before God is done telling people what it is they are to do. People mess stuff up even when they know the right answers or they have it all figured out. Um, people who had the law literally handed to them by God mess it up. People who are walking with Jesus in the flesh mess it up. We can have all the theology and the right intellectual arguments and the right answers, and that doesn't mean we're actually going to do what we're called to do. And God continues to respond to our cries and walk along with us again and again while we seem to have to work these things out for our own. And it's just such incredible patience and grace that you see here, um, even knowing that we will probably goof it up because we have before and we will again. God continues to both teach and guide um, and also just stay with us and, and, and walk alongside us when we figure it out. And that's not always without consequences all throughout Hebrew scripture, you see. But God responds to his people's cries and comes back. What could we learn from this kind of patience and grace? What does it mean for God to respond to us like this? This brings us to the second way we can be shaped. I believe words can shape us in community. Have you ever gotten advice from someone who like doesn't know you at all? So I'm thinking like lady in the produce aisle has a comment on your parenting or like great uncle so-and-so that you see once a year knows exactly what you should do with your career or just whatever it is. Like advice from someone who's not in relationship with you. Nobody takes advice from people who don't. <laughs> that is for sure. Like produce lady is not going to like change anything I'm doing in my life. People like, that know me well who I trust, people who are doing work 
walking alongside me, I have a chance of hearing from them. Especially when I know with confidence that they will love me and not abandon me, whether I do the right thing or not. Whether I take their advice or not is not going to change my relationship with someone. And that's where I really have safety and room and freedom to grow and maybe even change. This is modeled for us by God, too, all throughout Scripture. Like God just keeps coming back when we goof, not without consequences. And, and that applies for us, too. This isn't a situation where we're letting people walk all over us, but with boundaries that keep us all safe and healthy. It means we're, we're staying alongside people and not rejecting, rejecting each other or abandoning each, abandoning each other when things are rocky or tough. We can be changed and moved by words and experiences and community, and we're shaped by these things that we surround ourselves with. And so when we read these parables and these stories and we listen to the announcements at the beginning of service, we do so because they can move us when we let them. Maybe not quickly or tidy and perfect or the first time. Um, and that's why we keep practicing. And so this is what we're doing as a church community um, when we keep meeting together and worshiping together and using these liturgies and, and reciting these prayers is we're putting ourselves in situations where things can move us. And we're also putting ourselves into a community that can be with us while we do it. This is sort of a simple example of this, but it's a true one. Um, years ago, I'd been at Revolution for a little bit, been hanging out for a while. Maybe I was even reading announcements at this time. And, um, you know, there's always, there was always announcements about joining a service team. And I'd been thinking, like, you know, uh, yeah, they need people to serve. I'm, he I'm hearing this announcement in my head. I don't, I don't go sign up to serve, of course. But I hear the announcement in my head, and I know about it. Um, and there's something in me, too, I'm feeling. So I'm kind of nudging. Like, I really want to get to know people more. I want to get plugged in here better. Maybe nudging from God. Something going on inside me, too. What actually got me to, to start and make a change was a friend coming up to me and saying, hey, here's what I see in you. Like, you're already welcoming people when you get here and you're looking out for new people. Do you want to serve with me on guest experience and see what you think? Like, that combination of these three things and the words and the nudging and openness and the, and the, com the, the conversations with community who knew me and saw me and invited me along, like, that's what got to change. For me. And so let's bring this all back to our parable for today. We've been talking a little bit about parables in general and teaching. And so the expert in the law quoted the Shema in the section where Moses urged the Israelites to listen, to really hear, and to allow themselves to be moved. And so that's what I want us to practice today with this parable. I'm going to resist the urge to like teach more of this parable or get into the heady, the intellectual stuff that I love so much. We're going to put that aside for a second and listen to be open. And so I know there's a temptation to keep intellectualizing this and keeping it theoretical. And so I encourage us to kind of put that down for a minute and try to allow ourselves to listen, to actually hear, to be nudged and to move. We're all just practicing this together. And this is part of the practicing. So loving God and loving our neighbors is hard work. It's not fast work. 
Um, it's not something that like an answer key or knowing all the right theology and answers gets us much closer to doing well. And so this is lifelong work that we do in community walking alongside us and trying to figure out the same things and challenging, encouraging us as we go. And so I'm going to read um, this parable one more time. Give us a moment just to, just to let it sit with us, see if it nudges us. And then I'll pray and we'll receive communion. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Likewise.